everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and on this episode, we're doing the 11th Best Picture winner, You Can't Take It With You. This 1938 romantic comedy stars Jimmy Stewart as Tony Kirby, the son of a wealthy business magnate who falls in love with his secretary, Alice Sycamore, played by Jean Arthur. The two must overcome the friction between Tony's stuffy upper-class parents and Alice's quirky, chaotic family. That is an understatement about her family. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, they are they are quite quirky. Um, her grandfather in particular, played by the absolutely wonderful Lionel Barrymore. Who, As you say, he's a treasure. <laughs> he is an absolute treasure. And honestly, before we started doing this podcast, I had seen like very little of him. Like I, I kind of like knew who he was, but I couldn't like really talk about his performances. And I'm kind of like, I, what have I been doing my entire life? Like <laughs> he's so good, but just a little bit more background. So as we said, we have another romantic comedy. About time. I know. First, of course, being It Happened One Night, which was directed by the same director, as you can't take it with you, Frank Capra, um, who also directed Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and It's a Wonderful Life. So this genre is very much his genre in some ways, I think. Kind of that 1930s screwball comedy. Mm -hmm. And he does it well. I'm yes. realizing that I'm a Capra fan. Yeah. Before oh, we yeah. embarked on this whole thing, I had no idea yeah. who he and was. I'm, I'm not sure if this was his first like movie with Jimmy Stewart. Cause you know, two of the others I mentioned, Mr. Smith goes to Washington and it's a wonderful life. Also star Jimmy Stewart. I would say, you know, those two probably have better Jimmy Stewart performances than this <laughs> one. Um, Jimmy Stewart's actually my favorite actor of all time. And you know, he did fine. Well, the character he was given, I don't think was a good fit for him. Yeah. But. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that a little bit more later. And as far as what it was nominated for, it actually had seven nominations. It won two. Best Picture, of course, it won. Capra won for Best Director. This was actually his um, third, I believe, like directing Best Director Oscar in five years. He also won for It Happened One Night in 1934 and Mr. Deeds Goes to Town in 1936. Yeah, he's killing it. Yeah. So it was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress um, for Spring Byington, who played um, Penny Sycamore, uh, Alice's mom. No. Oh. The writer, the mom. Oh my goodness. I'm getting all these characters mixed up. There's a lot of characters in You're this. You're going to have to forgive um, me. I'm really sure. bad keeping characters that's, straight. That's okay. I actually have a cast list pulled up on my phone right now <laughs> <laughs> so that I can remember who they are. Um, it was also nominated for Best Writing for a Screenplay uh, for Robert Riskin, who also wrote It Happened One Night and won for It Happened One Night. It was also nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Sound Recording. Um, and then last bit of background before we jump into our actual analysis, which we've, I think, given a little bit of a preview for already. Um, just what else was nominated for Best Picture that mm -hmm. year? Uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood, which I love. We'll watch that sometime. <laughs> it's fun. Um, Special episode. Yes, for sure. Alexander's Ragtime Band, Boys Town, The Citadel, Four Daughters, Grand Illusion, Jezebel, Pygmalion, and Test Pilot. I've seen two of those. Which two? Robin Hood? Robin and... Hood and Jezebel. Okay. We'll have to go through and clean up all of the ones we haven't seen in the oh future. <laughs> so much to watch. When, once we actually finish all the best pictures, you know, I, I on the prize. Let's take it a step <laughs> at a time. Um, okay. So going into watch notes, um, kind of something that I want to bring up right at the beginning. And this probably wasn't necessarily fair to this movie, but I couldn't help it considered that it's same writer, same director, same genre around a similar time period. I compared it a lot to It Happened One Night. 
see, I was able to separate it enough in my head just because of the stark difference in between the storylines, which again, I'm a very plot driven person. So to me, they're very independent, but I see the elements that are like, yeah, I mean, you know, they're both screwball, uh, screwball comedies. So like the structure is extremely similar and it's got that, you know, more contained setting. It's Mm -hmm. not quite as long. It's more fast paced which is sim- more similar to It Happened One Night than most of our other Best Picture winners. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I don't know. I couldn't help comparing it, and that that's definitely unfair to this movie because, like I, we said in the past episode, It Happened One Night is one of my all-time favorites, mm-hmm. and like I think it's such a like tight comedy just as far as like pacing, dialogue, character, cinematography, like everything. So this one fell a little flat for me. I really wanted more from both of the leads performances as well yes so jimmy stewart was trying his damnedest to get this role to go and alice just was not matching his energy in really any scene that i I found i was not really enjoying gene arthur's performance both of those characters who i guess you could make an argument that lionel barrymore's grandpa and jimmy stewart's father are kind of more of the main characters almost they're definitely the more interesting characters and i think they were better acted personally yes Yes. well i think they were also better written Mm -hmm. i think the characters of tony and alice were just written very flat and honestly they felt like they were mostly plot device because Mm -hmm. unless they were together you weren't able to get this story arc Uh, for Tony's dad to become like a bigger hearted person who wasn't so focused on business because Tony's dad is trying to buy Alice's grandfather's house and like he won't sell because he's like this is you know the house that we've always lived in and he has that really really sweet monologue about Mm -hmm. the grandmother yes it's like you know okay this was a little weird to me where it's like you know that weird smell in this room it's your grandma (laughs) but but like he's like talking about like the perfume and stuff but like it's lionel barrymore so it was like just super endearing it was really sweet um and you see how much lionel barrymore's character is loved by everybody around him so everybody was getting these notices on the same block that they had been bought out and might have to move out because uh tony's father uh, mr kirby his plan is to buy up this giant parcel of land Mm. and build a munitions factory, I think is what it is. But without Lionel Barrymore's house, the whole plan falls Mm -hmm. apart. And I mean, you know, obviously the title is you can't take it with you. It's all about, you know, community versus money and Mm -hmm. what's important. But I, you know, as far as Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur really being like the main characters, I kind of wish that they had actually just spent more time with the grandfather and um, Mr. Kirby. Mm Mm-hmm. Than they had with Jimmy Stewart and um, Gene Arthur, so Tony and Alice, because there's like the weird date that they go on where like he proposes, which I actually like the proposal when um, he, oh, I wrote it down. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'm like, we're engaged. And she's like, I don't remember you asking or telling me. And he's like, well, you didn't ask me. But he's like, <laughs> is telling the story of how his mom was like, right. are you going to marry her? And he's like, yes, I am. So he's like, you didn't ask me. She did. And it's, I, I thought that was really cute, and I thought that was well acted, but I didn't necessarily need that scene. And this scene also had kind of this patina of ick to me. I don't really know why. It's probably me watching it through the current like climate. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, no, don't go. And he brings her into his office, starts kind of taking off her coat and her hat, and it just felt... 
kind of ickily paternal. I mean, that scene wasn't super icky to me. Um, I was like kind of fine with it. Like I thought it was a cute proposal. I thought, you know, they clearly have like a cute relationship where like the banter's back and forth. And I like Mm -hmm. how he always kind of like yes ands her because like Gene Arthur, let's say Gene Arthur's character in this, like kind of the original um, manic pixie dream girl a bit. But she was so not manic. I know. Well, but but it was the idea that like she's supposed to be like super quirky and stuff, but like mm-hmm. she wasn't she wasn't interesting, I didn't think, from a character standpoint. Oh, completely like, agree. like her whole personality was that she was part of this quirky family. And I know that you liked that proposal, but this is a perfect example of where I think she was not matching Jimmy's energy there. Oh yeah. So no, I don't, go to, I don't think she did the entire night, movie. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. Yes. That is that is something where, you know, if you compare it to it happened one night, you have Claudette Colbert and Clark Gable 100% matching each other every single scene, even though maybe one of them is like higher energy per se. Mm-hmm. The other one is still like there with the banter. They seem engaged in what's exactly. going on. Gene Arthur didn't seem engaged in what was going on half exactly. the time. Though I did love, so the one scene where I thought Gene Arthur did a phenomenal job was the restaurant scene. So at this point, it's established that, like, Jimmy Stewart's mom, well, first off, she's walked in on the office and they're, like, kissing. And she's like, <gasps> you can't marry your secretary. What is this? They're probably from some dull middle class family. I know. <laughs> I was like, um. But uh, so Jimmy Stewart's parents are at this really nice restaurant. And they're there with, like, a member of the English no- like nobility. They're there with, like, I think, like, some politician. It's just a party of, like, very wealthy, influential people. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they're talking about family trees because obviously Americans are becoming more and more concerned with their lineage. And I'm like, oh, it's so dumb. okay, Mrs. Kirby. It's so dumb. Says, says the person who has a family heritage book for both sides of their family. You didn't do that, though. <laughs> oh, ours isn't impressive. Trust me. Um, but so Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur end up at that restaurant as well. And you can tell that Gene Arthur's character is very uncomfortable with it because she establishes pretty early that she's like, in order to get married, she wants his parents' blessing. She's very uncomfortable with the situation. Jimmy Stewart's like, no, it's fine. Like, he doesn't really care. Like, he's like, I love you. Like, I want this to work. And you can mm-hmm. kind of tell that his personality is not the same as his parents. He's oh, got a bit of that like quirk and he doesn't really like business. He mm-hmm. likes people, all that good stuff. And to go off that a little bit too, this kind of goes back to his line about if I just scream my head off enough, I get what I want. Yeah. So I think that so really influences yes, which how he makes decisions. Happens earlier in like part of the conversation with Gene Arthur and Jimmy Stewart in the office, and it's like really funny, and you can tell that it's like kind of a bit that they've done together before. Mm-hmm. Well, they get into the restaurant, and Gene Arthur, I think she wants to like leave or something. Well, yeah, because Jimmy had pinned a sign oh, to yeah. her back. Oh yeah, like... because previously they had the weird scene in the park on the bench and then they were like dancing with those kids we'll get to that in a second but yeah that entire just up front that entire scene i was like why is this here it was basically there for the sign setup because there was a sign that said was it learn how to do the big apple which Mm -hmm. is a dance for a nickel and then on the other side it said what was it nuts nuts so (laughs) jimmy stewart had like pinned it to the back of gene arthur's cloak so they walk into the nice restaurant and everyone's laughing because they can see the sign yeah. Because neither of them have noticed it's there. Jimmy Stewart's forgotten about it. Gene Arthur hasn't noticed it's oh, there. Oh, I don't think Jimmy forgot. You don't? And I was kind of angry at his character at this I, time. I took it as he forgot, but I thought that's because he, he's playing him as like not the smartest. 
well, uh, see, I don't know. I, maybe I misread it, but I was kind of like, okay, you're joking around. That's all fine. But that to me felt like it was kind of at Alice's expense. Yeah, and no, for sure. This and is I, like a, you know another what? scene. Actually, <laughs> I kind of like that reading a little bit because it makes some of the stuff he does later, like when he purposely confuses what night he's supposed to bring his parents to her house for dinner. Mm-hmm. That makes that a little bit more, I don't know, consistent. consistent. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so they sit down and Alice wants to leave and he's like, no, 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 like we're going to stay. And then he starts to do the like, as if he's going to scream again. And he which, talks about it coming from his toes and just spreading that, out. <laughs> that was the bit where I was like, this is the Jimmy Stewart I know and love. Like that performance <laughs> of him doing all of that with like the facial expressions. Because during a lot of this, like, I, I don't know, like it just wasn't peak Jimmy Stewart. I was like, he's a little off his game, it seemed. He was obviously trying to be funny with the dialogue that they were giving him, but it just wasn't, yeah, it was no, falling it, flat. It, it wasn't a dimensional character. There, mm. there wasn't like the kindness and earnestness that there seems to be to like his best characters. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of where it missed the mark. Like there just wasn't much for him. Which is so sad. Yeah, but it really is. But the the whole bit with like the scream crawling up and he's like, I can I can feel it in my throat. I can feel it in my throat now. And you see like Jean Arthur getting more and more nervous because like she thinks he's gonna scream. So then she screams <laughs> and the whole restaurant is like, What the fuck just happened? And I love this bit because this is where I was like, their relationship is actually kind of nice because he immediately yes answer. He's like, There was a mouse. Like a giant rat, actually, like seven of them, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it just gets worse and worse yeah, and, and worse. And of course, everybody in the restaurant is freaking out, and Jean Arthur's face like lights up in this smile as he like covers for her. And so, like that scene, I really liked the two of them, and I liked both their performances. But like that is the only time in this movie that I think I was really like, "Oh, these characters are fun," mm-hmm. and the only time they played well off of yeah. each other. So yeah, I did like his parting line to the maitre d' where he slips in some cash and is like, buy a mouse trap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause there was, I mean, you know, we have been comparing it to it happened one night. The banter is not at that level, but there is actually like a lot of really nice, like one liners. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Stewart gets a few, um, Lionel Barrymore gets most of them, frankly, but it, I, well, you he know, delivered him better, so I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would say that the writing problems are more around the structure and the story itself than with the actual dialogue, mm-hmm. because I it, I did think that the structure and the plotline were like a little too complicated. I almost think that they wrote themselves into a corner with the size of Alice's family and commune livers. Yeah, because it's they had to spend a lot of time on those people to make sure that you knew them and knew their quirks. And honestly, they kind of browbeat you with their quirks to a point. Yeah. They almost didn't Um, need to spend quite, they needed to limit the number a little bit more and not spend quite so much time on them. Basically at the very beginning, when you have, you know, Mr. Kirby saying that he wants uh, whoever's doing his real estate to like, make sure that they buy that last piece of land. So then we meet grandpa coming in to talk to the guy and he's, the real estate person yes, the real clear. estate yeah. man and um grandpa's on crutches um when he makes a joke about how his granddaughter dared him to slide down the banister that is actually because lionel barrymore was on crutches because his arthritis was like acting up really badly at that point oh. um so they just folded it into the story i love well it works so it does. well it does <laughs> um i also loved his line there where it's like oh i've always wanted to walk on crutches and i'm kind of like 
oh, I've had to be on crutches before, and that was not a fun thing. <laughs> I actually kind of enjoyed it, but I was also in second grade, so. No, I was in college and had to walk around campus. That yeah, was no, not fun. No, 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 no. <laughs> Our college had a very hilly campus, too. But, you know, he comes in, he's talking to one of the, like, low-level workers in the office, and he's like, you know, do you like this job? And the guy's like, no. Mr. Poppins? Yes, um, I It turns love out Mr. Poppins. Mr. Poppins is a bit of an inventor, so grandpa. And I quote, I make things. Yes. <laughs> Um, so grandpa like invites him to come basically live in the house for a while and like work because he's like everyone who lives in my house, you know, they do what they want. They do what makes them happy. Mm -hmm. Um, and at first Poppins isn't going to go and their grandpa gives this line about like everyone, it's like a lily of the field and all this stuff. And then Poppins gets yelled at for something and well, for talking, yeah, to basically, for, <laughs> basically for like socializing at all in the mm -hmm. office and the manager's really mean to him so he's he like, ridicules his cute little bunny I know. cabbage also, like, contraption super the thing was super impressive it like, was it came out of left field but with this movie i'm less surprised yeah. so but you know poppins decides to go with him and i love when he runs into the elevator with grandpa and he goes the die is cast i'm a lily and grandpa's <laughs> response is have some popcorn and oh, like it was great that was, oh, was so good Lionel Barrymore did such a good job. Um, the cinematography there too, I was so on board with because you had the elevator doors close and immediately the cabinet doors at the Vanderhoff household opened up yeah. um, to their one uh, maid in the kitchen with uh, Annie, sorry, Alice's sister. Essie. Essie, thank mm -hmm. you. Uh, making her love dreams. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we're introduced to everyone else in the house and there's... Um, Alice's sister, Essie, who wants to be like this great dancer, played by Ann Miller, who was 15 at the time. Whoa, I didn't know she yeah. was that young. Yeah, and she's like one of the great dancers. I found that scene utterly delightful, though. Yes. Because you get this step-by-step -step introduction to all of the quirks yes. that so, like, the family she has. She wants to be the dancer, and like you just have to, you can see how talented Ann Miller is because Essie is not the best dancer, so, like, to be a great dancer who's, like, also kind of pretending to be, like, not a great dancer is... Like, Impressive. Yeah, it, it's got to be so hard. Um, but, yeah, so there's Essie and then her husband, um, whose name I don't remember, but he's the Alabama graduate. Oh, my God. His accent was <laughs> so thick. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. Um, I'm guessing that actor probably not from Alabama. Yeah, so he's playing the xylophone. Well, Essie's Vibraphone, dancing. actually. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> well, Essie's expert. dancing. Yeah, well, Essie's dancing. And then you've got the mom there, Penny, who's got the typewriter. Who and later... she's using a kitten as a paperweight. <laughs> <laughs> later we find out that Penny became a writer and started writing plays because a typewriter was once accidentally delivered to the house. And she just, like, started using it. Ugh, and I just love how they just do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. Yeah, period. and then you've got, like... Um, Mr. Uh, DePinna? Or... Well, Essie's and um, Alice's dad is working on fireworks with, um, is that the other? Yeah, Mr. DePinna. Yeah. Um, so they're all like in the basement making fireworks and then Poppins joins them and they're all just like being little inventors together. But like you can tell everyone in the house like is really happy. Mm -hmm. I have to say though, watching that, I was like, that's such a bit of like upper middle class privilege. I mean, yeah, to n not have to work is... Yeah. yeah, which was, like, the one flaw with all... Like, I like Grandpa's message of, like, instead of being this cutthroat businessman whose, like, job is making him sick because of stress, like, because 
grandpa gives this speech that he's like, that used to be me. Mm -hmm. And then one day I went into the office and they took me up the elevator and I asked them to take me right back down and I never went back. Mm -hmm. Um, Now remember that story. It's important. Yes, it is paralleled gorgeously at the end. But the idea that it's like, oh, just quit your job and do whatever makes you happy. Like, that's great. But like, you also kind of got to live. Exactly. And, you know, it turns out that grandpa's able to make some money from some of his hobbies, which mm-hmm. is great. And they obviously Stamp collection. Yeah. Appraisal he beca- or yeah. Something. He becomes like a consultant on like appraisals and stuff. And, you know, he obviously had money left over from being a big businessman, but mm-hmm. yeah. So that, that was a little bit of an issue I had with this movie. Yeah. Now to go back to the actual things that happened in the scene for a minute, um, with those fireworks, they set them off and people freak out that okay. aren't used to them, but nobody else does a thing. Like all of the yeah. family is just like going pop about Poppins their business. Is like what is going on? But like, I think there's the sign that says home sweet home that falls off the wall and like someone just picks it up, puts it back on. And exactly. Like... And that, that particular sign was a really nice symbol of how this home was a home. So it's mm-hmm. like, it falls down, but it's no big deal. We'll hang it back up. I wonder if there was glass in it at some point, but they took it out because it kept falling. falling. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, Which that kind of thing in the introduction of these characters, um, it made me wonder if Wes Anderson is a big Capra fan because it felt very Wes Anderson in some ways. Yeah, it made me think of the uh, Tenenbaums. Yeah, the Royal Tenenbaums. The Royal Tenenbaums, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, a little bit of the Adams family. So... Yeah, there is a little bit of like a creepy element to it almost. Well, and and not so much the creepy part. So the Adams family is much darker Mm -hmm. in their humor. But the fact you have all of the family members just doing their thing that (laughs) that's weird eccentric pursuits. Yeah. Um, paralleled really well for me. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was like a little bit of like Wes Anderson meets the Adams family meets the nineteen thirties. Exactly. So Um, I those scenes with the family were what really pulled it out for me. Mm-hmm. There's also this conversation that I love between Alice and Grandpa about how everybody's got an ism. Because she's <laughs> saying, you know, she's talking to him about Tony, and she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do because his family doesn't like me. Um, and he's like, well, get yourself an ism. And she's like, well, what? And he's like, everybody's got an ism these days. And he's like, communism, fascism, capitalism, kind of goes through all the isms. And I think he's like, get yourself, an, how about an Americanism? <laughs> um, and just, I, I like that conversation a lot. And Lionel Barrymore is just like so natural when he delivers it. Like, I don't know. He's like the quintessential grandpa in this yeah. movie. I mean, and that's the thing is like his character is everybody's grandpa. You know, they, everybody looks up to him. Both literally and figuratively. Yeah. So there, we'll get to the scene, but like everybody considers him his grandma, yes, their like, grandma. Pa, every, everyone's grandpa. like, yeah. everyone's <laughs> like, you're our grandfather, like you're our family. Um, and there is one scene later in particular that like really drives that home. So with their family, I do like how they're able to cause some conflict between Alice and then the Kirby's. Mm-hmm. So this kind of broke my heart a little bit when she's like, okay, I'm going to introduce Tony's family to you all do Mm -hmm. this, this, this. And basically she's trying to rip all of the color out of her family. Well, her idea is is that like, they're going to meet you guys eventually. So let's get it out of the way. And she's like almost trying to control it a little bit so that things look a little more normal. And I, 
honestly, like, if they wanted to complicate Alice's character more, I wish they leaned more into the maybe that, like, Alice is the most normal of them and, like, she mm-hmm. loves her family, but, like, is often embarrassed by them because the only you only get that in like little bits and pieces and i think if they had made alice less eccentric or like try didn't try and make her so quirky too that it would have been a little bit more of like a contrast but yeah so she decides that she's going to like invite them over and she's saying that it's the next night like the next evening she's like coming over the next evening and of course her family loves her so they are all like agreeing to like be normal yes and it turns out that tony had a different idea because tony's like he knows that she's gonna kind of like try and water down her family a bit mm-hmm. so he's like no nah, they're gonna meet your family they're gonna meet your family because previously tony has been by the house it's very clear that the family really loves tony and very much um, approves of this or alice's family very much approves of it but tony decides that he's gonna bring his parents that night and is going to pretend that he didn't realize the day okay this was another situation where i was like dude you are doing this at alice's expense right now it very much upset me because i was like tony obviously loves alice but he does not think about her feelings at all yeah he has always had the approval of his parents and doesn't understand why someone would want to have it yeah and that plays out in the scene in the kitchen between alice and him Mm. where she's basically like fuck you (laughs) maybe this is off (laughs) she's very upset and i actually i liked that where i was like i like that alice like isn't taking this that was really one of the few scenes where I liked Jean's performance yeah. was Alice. Yeah, I, they needed to give Alice just like a little bit less quirk and a little more spirit. Completely agreed. That's all she really needed. Yeah. <laughs> but in that scene too, it's interesting how that made me hate the Kirbys a whole lot because oh, you yes. go from this vibrant scene where Mr. DePinna is dressed up as a discus thrower and mom is painting oh, and they're playing the vibraphone. Dancing, her yes. weird Russian dance instructors there Kalenkov. too. Um, we kind of got a little bit of butts when they're rolling up the rug out of the way to Ugh. for the dance space. Except it's like for code. Yeah, so uh, we got covered butts. But um, it's like Essie Ed, and the dance teacher are all like bent over rolling the rug and grandpa's been throwing darts and you can see him kind of look and like think about wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if I just like got one of them with a dart but then he doesn't. But yeah, that entire scene, it's utter chaos. But it's, it's such their family. Yes, and it looks so fun. It does. Um, But the minute the, the Kirby's show up, everything is like shut down and everyone's like, um, okay, well, we're going to make this work. Yes. Now, in the scene where they're there, there are some fun comedic moments, though. Mm -hmm. So they give Mr. Kirby a hard-bottomed rocking chair. Every time he sits in it, it smacks his back. And he does this like five or six times. I know, you'd be like, "Uh, Mr. Kirby, please learn. You're smarter enough. Come on. But that was a fun little dig at him. But I also loved when uh, Alice's mother started talking to Mrs. Kirby about her hobbies. And she immediately throws out occultism. And... (laughs) Alice's mother is like, everyone knows it's a fake. <laughs> yes, but I love Mr. Kirby's reaction because for a moment he's like, maybe I kind of like these people. Well, and this was the first crack in Mr. Kirby's facade. Yes. So this is where I, the reason I wanted to talk about that is because I think it is the important first step mm-hmm. in Mr. Kirby's character development where he's like, okay, these people are weird, but hey, maybe they're not crazy. Well, and it's like the, they're weird, but like, there's also some weird stuff about us. Yeah, Everyone, Mrs. Kirby didn't see it. Everyone's a little weird. Yeah, Mrs. Kirby is having none of this. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, there is something weird in everybody. <laughs> yes. Um, but there's, I love the bit where they're doing the prior to at the dinner table. 
and um, Lionel Barrymore, oh, his all of his prayers were so good, like the pre-dinner prayer, because um, he says, we just met the boy you sent for her, talking about Alice, and he looks fine. <laughs> and I just, I liked that. I thought it was just fine. So sweet. Oh, also, speaking of hobbies, Mr. Kirby's business is my hobby. I was like, oh my God, that's so boring. It really is. But it's it, sad. It is. But we also get the important yes. part where Tony is like, oh, but you were a really good harmonica player at once. Yeah. And of course, Grandma's like, oh, I love harmonica too. I think they continue to call it a mouth organ though, but which is the weirdest name for a harmonica and I hate that's it. That's like calling something moist. Yeah. It's gross. It's real gross. <laughs> um, but again, helping show Mr. Kirby how, oh, wait a second, these people who you think you're very far away from are maybe more likely mm-hmm. like you than you think. Yeah. The other part of the scene that I think is, well, it's key to the plot. You have, earlier in the story, they had printed pamphlets <laughs> that when they said what it was, I was like, come Speaking on. Speaking of isms. <laughs> like, let's think about how this is going to yep. sound. What they were really wanting to do is... Uh, do some publicity for their fireworks show. But what they wrote on the pamphlet is watch for the revolution coming soon. Yes. So remember (laughs) historically, so this would be a contemporary film for the time. So late thirties, we've got the fascists ramping up in Europe, but at the same time, we've also had the communist revolution, you know, back in 1919 and the rise of, the Soviet Union through the 20s and into the 30s. Mm-hmm. So everyone is terrified of communism. It's the first red scare. So of course they're like the revolution is coming and there's something else that they there is there's like a red something reference. They're oh, like the, the red, red flag. flag. Yeah. So we get um, a government representative who comes by first off about like the tax evasion. So grandpa hasn't been paying taxes and I had trouble with this. I did too. Because he's like, well, what do I get for my money? When I go to a store, I get something for my money. I was like, do you like roads, sir? Do you like hospitals? Do you like public education? Do you like like the fire engine that put out your house when all the fireworks went off? Yes, which we will talk about (laughs) in a minute because I want to talk about those effects. Oh, yeah. Um, But yeah, so it it is though interesting because you get that and there is definitely like an anti-big business sentiment here and very much a pro kind of the quote little man. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think is uncommon for the time because I mean, you know, it's the late thirties. We are still in the great depression. I mean, FDR's social programs and stuff have relieved it a little bit, but like we haven't hit world war two yet. Exactly. Like there's, you know, you're about to hit world war two and you know, a lot of the, you know, public works from the thirties are about to like start helping with the economy, but you're, you're still in the depression and like the really bad part of the depression is not that long ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people are still super distrustful of kind of the big business magnet and you're not getting the like vehemence towards it that you do in a lot of like the pre-code films, but it's still there, even if it's Mm -hmm. in a more subtle, docile format. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the Red Scare, this is where we have the government officials after the IRS guy. These are actual policemen, I believe. Um, And they come in. And they end up arresting everybody. everybody. So that includes the Kirby's. As this is happening, yeah. So they're like, we're going to arrest everybody. And Kirby's like, do you know who I am? And they're like, we don't care. And I'm like, love to this part. It's like "Ah." cutting them down to size. I love every time someone's like, do you know who I am? And someone's like, don't care. 
I'd like it even better if they're like, we do know and we still don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so as all that's going down and everyone's like being arrested, the fireworks in the basement go off. Oh, but this is the best part because I think it was it was either Mr. DePena or Alice's father. I can't remember yeah. which one has the pipe. They wouldn't let him get his pipe. And they're like, no, you can't go get it. And he's like, but it's lit. And immediately all of the fireworks go off. And it's just like, <laughs> it's a lot of fireworks. It was a good 30 seconds to a minute of fireworks just going off and out they, of the like, basement. It cuts like to the basement and then the living room. And of course, everyone's freaking out. And then it cuts out onto the street. And there are fireworks everywhere just coming out of this house. <laughs> and it was so funny. But also, like I loved that effect. It was a lot of fun. It was really fun. And it just, I just the sheer amount of fireworks, like even if you don't watch this movie, like see if you can find that scene online because yeah, it's enjoyable. It's, it's quite funny. I also loved how the fireworks lent themselves to the chaos in this overall scene because you have the Kirby's and all of the Vanderhoffs. I assume they're all named. No, they're not. Cause there were some marriages, yeah, but yeah. Well, yeah, Alice's that's grandpa's. Family family he's right i think his name's like martin vanderhoff something like that yeah. but that whole family plus the kirby's were out on the street getting loaded into paddy wagons yeah. while everybody in the neighborhood was like oh whoa what's going on let's go rubberneck a little bit yeah. at the uh, vanderhoff house and you get the fire engine that comes in and just that whole chaotic scene there really enjoyed yes. how active it was and then that kind of parlayed into another scene that i really enjoyed which is all the jailhouse stuff oh, the jailhouse scenes were perfect oh, so you have of course mr kirby in a cell, a cell being like um i need to call my lawyers because he's got multiple he has four actually like, yes we find four lawyers and he's like why can't you get a hold of them why do i pay for four lawyers if you can't get a hold of even one and he's like being awful and grandpa's just like chilling in the jail cell and like of course mr kirby's like do you know who i am and all this stuff and then he's like i'm like mr something something kirby and i own this and it's a munitions business and all this crap which i did like that they had him as a villain owning the munitions business because it's a little bit about pacifism too from yeah. that era which um frank capra was a self-proclaimed pacifist i did also look actually to see if he um was brought up in front of the house committee for any of the blacklist stuff in the 50s given that i know it's a wonderful life got a little bit panned post um it's released by the government because they were like it's anti-american which i was like there is no film more american than it's a wonderful <laughs> life like what's wrong with you um but he didn't he was not ever put on blacklist or mm -hmm. brought up in front of the committee but um he was a self-proclaimed pacifist so i think he definitely got some of that with yes. this movie um but yeah and i also wanted to be like Kirby, I wouldn't be like bragging about what a influential business magnet you are in a cell full of people who like got fucked over by the stock market a few years ago. You were way out unnumbered. Yeah, I was like, this is not going to go well for you. And then, of course, he he's like, says, is it something he says to grandpa? I, I honestly don't remember because grandpa's monologue was on point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I think he ends it with, you're an idiot, Mr. Kirby. Yeah, but when he said, whatever he says to Grandpa to spur on the monologue, you see everybody else in the cell immediately come to Grandpa's defense. Yes. Um, so again, you know, the idea that he knows that neighborhood, people love him in that neighborhood, like he is super well respected. Mm -hmm. um, Second scene where you see that. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, his, his monologue was so good. Where I think that's where he gives the speech about how he used to be Mr. Kirby. Exactly. Um, and I, I kind of like that he says it and then, you, oh, he calls Kirby a failure as a father. Yes. Too, which really hits Kirby hard. It does. 
And the way they had this scene framed, you, they had Grandpa seated, Mr. Kirby standing up, kind of looking at Grandpa, and then you had Jimmy on the far left-hand side looking away. Mm-hmm. The way you could see all three of them there was perfect for how it was going down. Because yeah. you could then see Jimmy be like, okay, he's right. And like every so often you'd you'd see him be more disheartened than yeah, he normally was. Yeah, when we say was. Jimmy, we mean the character of Tony, but yeah. we call him Jimmy. because We're going to call him Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been calling Alice Jean Arthur most of the time, too. But I love the way Grandpa immediately is sorry. And he's like, I don't know what made me go off like that. Like, I haven't been that angry in years. And like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said those things. I'm sure you're a great father. And I did kind of want like a little bit more of a pause before he said that. Like a little bit more of a like time for him to realize like, oh, I flew off the handle like Mm -hmm. I used to. But I think that that is just, it was such a nice touch because it showed the character arc that Grandpa had gone through before the film. Right. Almost. Like you got a glimpse of what he used to be. And of course you get that with Mr. Kirby and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you see like where he is now and that he's like very much in like a mind frame of like forgiveness and like being kind, Mm -hmm. even though he slipped. Exactly. Well, and this is also the scene where Grandpa gives Mr. Kirby his harmonica, mm-hmm. which is key here. Yes, that harmonica his, comes back. His as new like, harmonica that Alice had gotten him. Yeah, which was so sweet and so generous. It's like, okay, we love you, Mr. Vanderhoff. Yeah. Oh, what a, Lionel Barrymore, what a treasure. Um, <laughs> but let's now parallel that to the scene that goes on in the women's cell. Oh, so Essie. Have, I love Essie so much oh, after this scene. Yes, me too. Um, so we have... Mrs. Kirby. Who, for the record, is much more stuffy than Mr. Kirby. Yes, we very much don't like her. I'm not sure she really changes either throughout the film. At the very end, maybe. I don't think she changes. I think she realizes (laughs) that she's lost the battle, but she is not happy about it. But she's, of course, sitting there being like, do you know who I am? I'm Mrs. So-and-so-and-so-and-so Kirby. I clearly have not looked up Mr. Kirby's last name. It's not so-and-so-and-so-and-so, but... It's fine. I don't know. Whatever Don't worry. They don't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ian, they're Mr. So-and-so-and-so-and-so Kirby and Mrs. So-and-so-and-so Kirby. <laughs> Don't you Obviously. know who they are? But she's, you know, going through all that and basically interacting with a prostitute that's yes. in there. Oh, yeah, there is. Oh, she's based the prostitute effectively insinuates that Mrs. Kirby is working as a prostitute yes, and is like, "Where are you working yeah, to be able to afford all this?" Yeah, she was like, "That's a really nice coat. Where have you been working and stuff?" And Mrs. Kirby's like super offended by this. And Alice kind of tries to be like, "Hey, leave her alone." And Mrs. Kirby's like, "I don't need your help." And like says some Horrible things to Alice. Mm-hmm. Then Essie comes up and is like, do I need to soccer, oh, sis? Oh, yes. And I was like, let Essie soccer. <laughs> do it. Do it. Um, she didn't, but I wanted her to. I didn't I didn't like that Alice seemed so hurt about that. I mean, I got that, but I wanted Alice to put on a little bit more of a face. I think that's it. Like, I wanted more strength from Alice than we got. Yes. She seemed to just let things happen. Like, she was... She was very passive. Flapping in the wind. Yeah. I don't know. Other than, like you know, being mad at Tony about like bringing his parents over the day early. Like Mm -hmm. we didn't really like get to see a whole lot of like pride and courage from her, Mm -hmm. which I think would have made her as a character more likable. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So there are a couple scenes here uh, that definitely merit talking to earlier on, like in the very introduction, we got this impression that you had the newspaper men functioning kind of as paparazzi that wanted Mm -hmm. to get photos of Mr. Kirby and all of this. But 
we get this wonderful scene in what I think is like the public office of the jail or something like that, where you have two or three lawyers come in in quick succession being like, I'm so-and-so Kirby's lawyer. And where is he? Oh, he's about to be arraigned. Go through there. So you have like three people walk in or run in basically. And then you have the newspaper men finally hear that it's Mr. Kirby. And once they do, it's like this mob of people running back to see him. Yeah. Now at the same time, we also have the Kirby's and the Vanderhoffs coming into the courtroom to be arraigned or charged or uh, whatever the judge is going to do. Can I just say I loved the judge in this and his performance I thought was fantastic. Oh, yes. I love that actor. I forgot to look up his name, but he is in a lot of stuff um, like Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, Mm -hmm. He's in something else that we watched recently too. But yeah, he's in a lot of stuff from that time period and I love him every single time. It was great the way he was able to show subtle, small things that showed how much glee he personally was taking in the fact that Mr. Kirby was in his courtroom. Yes. But still was able to maintain this air of judicial fairness and dignity. Yeah. It was oh, oh it's so, <laughs> so good. good. So good. But yeah, that that entire court scene, this is where you really get to see, you know, grandpa. Like Exactly. Who grandpa is and like just how important he is to people because basically the Vanderhoffs are all like brought up on like fines and stuff and the judge is like I do have to find you so he doesn't find them for disturbing the peace yes. but he does for manufacture of fireworks yes. without a license yep and so they're like you know he's like I have to find you for that and it's what I don't remember the exact number for the hundred dollars yeah which for then was a lot yeah that money. would have been a lot of money um and so now right before this we the judge was like why are so many people in my courtroom and they're like oh it's all grandpa Vanderhoff's friends so yes. Key point there. Yes. The, the entire audience in the courtroom is like the Vanderhoff's friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this Mr. Kirby actually offers to pay mm-hmm. fine um, because obviously what grandpa said to him in the jail cell really hit home. Um, mm-hmm. And basically grandpa's like, no, no, I can't let you do that. Well, and the way Kirby offered, he was like, oh, I'm a big charitable man and I'm going to take charity on these families. So well, no, they literally said that. Well, did the lawyer the say lawyer that? Did. Okay, the lawyer says that. I right. didn't take that as Kirby's intention, though, because Kirby basically like kind of like whispers to one of his four lawyers mm-hmm. that is standing there, and the lawyer's like, oh, Mr. Kirby is like very charitable. He'll take care of the fine. Well, regardless of whether that was his intention, yes. the framing of that definitely yes, would have because... been like, hell no, I'm not taking your money. Well, but Grandpa, Grandpa's more just like, I can't let you do that. Like, you know, it's Grandpa. <laughs> he's, he's chill, minus the one little outburst in the jail. I'm just obviously not as good a person as Grandpa Vanderhoff. I so. don't think many of us are. I also <laughs> don't think many of us are as good of a person as Lionel Barrymore. Actually, well, I have nothing. I have no idea what he was like as an actual person. I just know he's a phenomenal <laughs> actor, and I want to see everything he's been in now. Um, but what Kirby's offer does is it sort of galvanizes all of Grandpa's friends. They're like, no, we take care of Grandpa. And it's led by that one lady who's like so gung-ho about it. Yes. Um, but they start taking up a collection, and everybody's throwing in money. And I Even love... Even the judge. Yes. I love when she takes like this like hat of money up to the judge and puts it on the stand and goes, is this enough? And he doesn't even count it. And he just smiles and he goes, yeah, that's enough, and throws in a coin himself. And I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> this is why we like that. Yes. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, and then it's now the Kirby's turn. And all the lawyers are like, it's not the Kirby's fault. Like, they shouldn't have even been there. And like, he's like, okay, but like, you were there. 
So unless you can explain to me what you were doing there, I do have to find you. And Mama Kirby, I just want to be like, woman. Nobody cares that you were at a middle-class house. Yes, because she's like, you can't tell them why we were actually there. Because she doesn't want anyone to know that her son might <gasps> gasp, marry his secretary? So I agree it's stupid to care, but I think it's valid. Because once the newspapermen come in and chaos goes around you get this montage which okay for the record i have consistently been not such a big fan of the newspaper montages the yes. one in this where you have all of the newspapermen's photos of uh, alice breaking well up with because Tony, what happens is so basically effective. the mom is like i'm not like we can't say why we were actually there and alice is like i'll tell you why they were there and i was like alice has some backbone yay oh and, and then the mom tries like mrs kirby tries to shut her down mm -hmm. and tony's like no 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 like I'm like, we're going to say it like it's yeah. happening. Like we're getting married. Like we're going to say it. Of course, Alice, after all this is like, we're no longer getting married, sir. I've decided it's your family. That's not good enough for me. Yes. Was uh, the uh, best line. Yeah. So then that's when you get like the newspaper montage mm -hmm. with all of that stuff. Um, and it's like the salacious headlines about how the mogul son is now yeah, like, okay. So like, I get why Mrs. Kirby was not happy about that in the context of the time. It's still snooty and uppity. Yes. I still, I still think it's dumb. And then after that, you've come to find that Alice has run away to, I think, Vermont or I she's guess. gone like further north yeah. in New England and is out in the country doing whatever. And you see that Tony is really downtrodden because he, he still devastated. really loves her. Yeah. Trying to come around, trying I kinda to find her. I kind of want to be the, like, Tony, let it go. Like, like leave her. Like, it was it was hitting, like, almost stalkery. Yeah. I was like, I guess this is romantic in the 1930s, but, like. He's so willing to fight for you. Yeah, I was like, you should probably back off and, like, give her some time. Like, I don't know, like, write her a letter that's just like, hey, I realize you need time. Like, if you're interested when you get back, let me know. Like. Right. But this is also leading into the scene where Vanderhoff finally decides to sell so that they can move to be with Alice. Yes. Which, and heartbreaking scene. And I love when, when I think it's Essie asks her, well, what about like grandma? Or asks uh -huh. him, what about grandma? And he's like, you know, but like, I love grandma, but she's not all of my family, basically. He's like, mm -hmm. you know, I still love you guys and we should go be with Alice. And yeah, he decides to sell. Um, you also have this really great scene with Tony and Mr. Kirby where it's... I call it um, the first, but it's your dream, son. No, dad, it's your dream scenes. <laughs> because basically, um, Kirby's decided that, you know, he's made this new acquisition and he wants Tony to be the head of the board of directors. Mm -hmm. And Tony is not interested. And Kirby does not understand why. And basically, Tony's like, this isn't what I want. He's like, what I want is Alice. Yeah, so he gives it all up. Yeah. And that, so I'm going to say, let's focus on Mr. Kirby for the, like his final character arc here. Mm -hmm. So he is, after that scene with Tony, he is devastated. He's like, oh my God, c crisis of life mm -hmm. right now. Midlife, late life, I don't know, crisis, whatever. Yeah. And this merger that he has been trying to push through is finally happening. Yeah. And he's sitting there in his office meeting room well, and, like freaking out yes and like won't let anyone in for a while and then people come in and they're like we you know it's time to like go talk to the people like mm -hmm. let's get in the elevator oh but you have ramsey who is another business partner that got totally screwed over okay i hated this because i was like who the fuck is this i think so the only reason i was okay with this is because you see ramsey come in stress out, collapse, and die of a heart attack. Yeah, you don't see him die of a heart attack, they, but... They tell you later. Ramsey 
is Kirby in this scene. Yes, like, I mean, Kirby's looking at his future self. But the thing is, because we already had the monologue with... Well, first off, Ramsey's never mentioned beforehand. True. Ever. He's just thrown in at the end there. Again, he's a plot device. But, like... I don't like having characters that are purely plot devices. I don't know if you've noticed this in our conversations, but and I, see, I hate I it. I don't mind it because I love plot. I hate it, but people <laughs> in real life aren't plot devices. True. They're people. So, like, movies should, to some extent, be a reflection of real life. I think that's part of their function. Their other function is to entertain. That's a separate thing. <laughs> or they can be like, whatever. We'll talk about that another time. But he's thrown in at the end with very little context. They're just like, oh my, Ramsey, this old business partner I screwed over. What are you doing here? And he's like, you ruined me. Heart attack collapse. Like, it- But you were able to see, so the reason, like you are also seeing a harmonica in this scene. So Mr. Kirby had pulled it out, put it on the table yes. and thrown it down the table. Ramsey is like, fuck you, no, I'm going to actually go and do what Vanderhoff did if he hadn't have died. But he pushes the harmonica back. Yeah. So the fact that you have I like Mr. The Kirby rejecting Vanderhoff's ideals and, and then, then having it thrown, thrown back. back. I like that, but you could have done that with Tony and then you wouldn't need the Ramsey character. Also, you don't need the Ramsey character because you've already had the monologue with Grandpa Vanderhoff Ooh. in the jail yep. cell that is like... I used to be you and I was so unhappy and I left. So you've already got the idea planted in Kirby's mind. Mm -hmm. You've already had like his health issues addressed, which I think grandpa also brings up in his monologue. So I think it's more powerful if you get rid of Ramsey because you don't need that theme repeated. It's been repeated a lot over the course of the film. Like we get it. And then you have it be the harmonica exchange with Tony because then it's Tony accepting the Vanderhoffs over his own father and Kirby realizing that like he's made a mistake and he's losing his son. I love that so much. Yeah, I think I think that would have solved that issue for me. You know, it's a minor one because I absolutely love what they do next. So they get Kirby into the elevator and you go up and then it's a shot from behind Kirby and you see the elevator doors open and there's like an entire boardroom full of people who all stand up and applaud him because of this merger. And you just see Kirby's face and you can almost see on his face that he's like, was this worth it? And he's immediately like, take me back down. Take oh, me back down because this is the so era good. where we have to have elevator operators. So there was always somebody in there operating the elevator. But he's like, take me back down. They're like, but sir, the merger you work so hard on. He's like, take me back down. And you see the elevator go down. Kirby gets off and he walks away and he goes straight to the Vanderhoff's house. Yep. And now this is, he comes in as they're moving out. It's mm-hmm. bare. And you get this heartbreaking shot of them taking down the home sweet home sign. And Penny one last time. it. Oh. oh, that was, I, I love how Penny's like, everything's going to be fine. Like, you know, we're moving, we're still together, all this stuff. And then the sign falls and she just starts bawling. Because yeah, it's the last time. Yeah. But you have now Mr. Kirby come in and talk to Vanderhoff. And, mm-hmm. and I love the, just play harmonica for a while. It makes yeah. things all better. Well, just before that has happened, um, Tony was over there. Oh, yes. Important. Yeah, so Sorry. we'll backtrack a bit. So before um, all of the Vanderhoff stuff. Tony has come through the house and he is looking for Alice and being a little creepy. And grandpa's like, I can't tell you where she is, but like there's a trunk of her stuff upstairs that will be going to wherever she is. A large trunk. Hint, hint. Do you understand? (laughs) And Tony's like, ah, yeah. So he like goes up, I guess, to look at the trunk and see where it's going to be taken. Oh no. I thought he was going to stow away in it. Oh, <laughs> that's what I got from that scene. <laughs> you know what? That's probably right. Given Vanderhoff, I thought he was just going to be like, obviously she has a lot of her stuff here that she needs. 
Oh, no. I'm I, think like, I'm, I think I'm too practical for this movie. <laughs> oh, see, I thought it was delightful, and I was in a whimsical mindset I like that the whole so much time. better. I like that better. Um, but then, of course, Alice shows up anyway, and she and Tony have a bit of a spat. And basically, she runs upstairs and locks herself in her room. Tony's up there trying to, like, talk to Alice and stuff, and she's like, go away. Like, it's obviously not going to work and all this stuff. Meanwhile... Kirby comes into the house, and Grandpa has got him to start playing harmonica. Because if you just sit and play harmonica for a while, your problems will go away. That's yeah. Vanderhoff's mentality. Yeah. Um, but it works. Yeah, it does. So it kind of works. Everybody comes, starts singing. Essie starts dancing. dancing. The what's the not they pull xylophone? The vibraphone, the vibraphone down. Start yeah. playing. Um, oh. Everyone's getting really into it, and then um, of course that's a lot of commotion. So Tony and Alice come down the stairs. And they see Mr. Kirby there playing their harmonica, clearly having a good time. Mm -hmm. And like people have come in off the street who are like helping them move and stuff. Like there's a big crowd. And Alice and Tony are just kind of like, What's going on? Uh, well, but what they do is they see Mr. Kirby there. And Mr. Kirby sees his son. And you can see the look on his face that's kind of like, Oh my God, it worked. Like the playing <laughs> the harmonica works. Like my, my, problem has kind of gone away almost because he was he tony basically was like i'm never gonna see you again like yeah. tony said goodbye um and then alice and tony like hold hands do the classic like 1930s turn and hold hands and like and didn't they start doing the big apple or something like well, that Well, first they like kind of look at him and they like nod like us we're okay like <laughs> we have your blessing and mr carvey like nods back and it's really sweet and then they start doing the big apple and one of the reasons I love this scene, too, is they have so many great throwbacks to other things that happened earlier in the film. So Kalenkov, in that very first meeting with the Kirbys and the families... Yeah, that's the dance instructor. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Picks up Mr. Kirby and, like, throws him on his back because he's talking about wrestling. Yeah, Mr. Kirby's reason. like, well, I used to be a wrestler, but, like, not anymore. Yeah. So as they're singing and being jubilant and whatever, Kirby picks up Kalenkov and throws him on his back that time. So yeah. it really showed how far Mr. Kirby had come. Yes. You also yes. have Mrs. Kirby in the background. <laughs> She's still very she reticent. Is not happy <laughs> about this. And I imagine that there was quite a discussion at the dinner table that night, but well, we don't get okay. to see that because we get our happy ending because this is in fact a comedy. And it is such a nice, pretty bow at the end. Yeah, it is. I, I agree. They used a lot of nice, um, motifs and like visual parallels that mm -hmm. I, I did enjoy. So final scene here, we have grandpa Vanderhoff giving his prayer again, which another one of his great prayers. <laughs> and he's like, we're so glad that we have shown that Mr. Kirby is actually a really good apple and we'll get through to Mrs. Kirby in time. <laughs> <laughs> and I like before that prayer too, how like you see the Kirby's kind of looking at each other because everyone else has bowed their heads and they're like kind of looking at each other like what what's going on? Okay, we're bowing our heads now. Mm -hmm. Like you can see that they're still adjusting, um, which I like. But yeah, the the prayers they're so funny and they're so well delivered. Like Lionel Barrymore's delivery of absolutely everything in this movie was so natural. Mm -hmm. Like there, I like I have no negative notes at all on his performance. Agreed. Now, the one last thing in the scene that I want to make sure to talk about is the home sweet home because mm -hmm. they put it up again. And yeah. it was like, to me, it was the home sweet home triumphant. We're here. This is us. Now it's bigger and happier and we're going to continue doing our jubilant communal thing mm -hmm. going forward. Yeah. No, it was, it was a very sweet ending. It was. I enjoyed sure. it. Um, so I guess any more like last minute notes or do we want to go ahead and jump right into rankings? I'm good to go into rankings. I wished that I had more to say on things like costuming and lighting, but really 
they seemed secondary to the plot. Yeah, I mean, I did note that I really liked the set design, um, particularly of the Vanderhoff's house, but I liked kind of the contrast with the sort of like cluttered hominess of their house versus mm-hmm. the like very stark grandeur of like the bank and the Kirby's places. Yes, that was um, good juxtaposition. So I do think that was nice. And then, is, you know, as far as costuming goes, I think, you know, the Vanderhoffs and the Kirby's were all dressed very differently, you know, particularly when the Kirby's are over the Vanderhoffs house, yes. they're all very dressed up. It basically, it was all perfectly effective and kind of blended in for me, which yeah. for the kind of screwbally comedies almost feels like the right thing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, they're contemporary pieces too. Mm-hmm. So like, it's not anything, you know, they're not doing any sort of like grand historical drama or something. Right. So, um, no, I thought that all of the costuming was very appropriate to the characters. I, like I said, I liked the set design, mm-hmm. um, wasn't much score, so not really notes on score. Yeah. Like a little whatever on it. So, but overall I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. So, so rankings. Alrighty. So as we've said in the past, I'm very plot driven. Mm-hmm. I have a soft spot for nice pretty bows at the end as well, which <laughs> probably makes me a little bit of a cheap date, but that's okay. Um, so I actually slotted You Can't Take It With You before Mutiny on the Bounty, but after Wings. Okay. So that's going to be my number four. Oh. Yeah. So I, like I said, it's sort of like when we disagreed with the It Happened One Night, where I just have a really big soft spot well, for we, these we now ended up agreeing with it happened one night on ah, our re-record yes. remember oh we did yeah you switched it down to after all quiet oh well because my argument was too good <laughs> um so. but it just i i just enjoyed the themes better which yeah. okay maybe i'm a lowbrow movie consumer That's but fine. i really don't care no i you know like i'm also a sucker for romantic comedy um you know anything that makes you laugh and smile i think is always good in a movie um I did not rank this one as highly as you did. It is right after Wings, right before the Great Zigfield, for me at number seven. Interesting. Yeah. So the reason that for me is while I actually do love the genre and I was really excited to watch another comedy, I, I like I said, I had a hard time separating it from It Happened One Night, which I think is almost a perfect movie in that it does its job and it does it extremely well. Uh, mm-hmm. There were some flaws with this. I also, again, I'm a huge Jimmy Stewart fan. So to watch something where it was a bit of a lackluster Jimmy Stewart performance and then I don't think he was given a lot to work with character wise. I was kind of like, it's a little bit of a waste. Um, And I wish they had just been a little bit tighter on like who they were focusing on. I'm very character driven, which we talked about, whereas like I loved Mr. Kirby and grandpa and like I I loved Essie too. And like the mom Penny quite a bit. There was just, I had some character problems with Tony and Alice Mm -hmm. who since they are sort of framed as your main characters or at very least two of your main characters that just, that took away a lot of it from me. Um, but I, I definitely think it was enjoyable. Like, yeah. I enjoyed watching the movie. I just, you know, as far as best pictures, it's just not that highly <laughs> it wasn't ranked the for best, me. best picture. For yeah. You. It's just not that highly ranked for me. Yeah, no, it makes yeah. sense. So our lists are starting to get different. I know. Very different. We're going to have to make sure to get them, keep them posted rather. Yeah. I'm like, Ooh, there's lots of mix up in the yeah. middle. <laughs> they're, on, they're on our website. Um, yes. you can look at the lists on our website. Um, awesome. So, yeah, with that, I think that was, you can't take it with you again, really liked it, but you can take this podcast with you. If you will (laughs) subscribe to us on Apple podcast or Stitcher, I'm assuming that you're either listening to this there or directly from our website, um, which there will be, uh, the website address in the description for this podcast. 
Um, if you want to find us on social media, we are at Best Pictures Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can also find links to our like individual Twitters um, through the podcast Twitter. And then if you want to email us in, we are bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. And with that, I'm Ian. I'm Maggie. And tune in next time when we do Gone with the Wind. It's an epic. <laughs> <laughs>